Jesus is alive. He is helping me through the toughest of tough times. And it's because of that, he always loves me. Because Jesus lives and I am crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Because Jesus is alive, all things are possible. Because Jesus is alive, I have everlasting life. And because Jesus is alive, we'll see our loved ones again. Jesus is alive, I like eating corn. Because Jesus is alive, I have more peace to conquer each day. Because Jesus is alive, I have life. Because Jesus is alive, I know that I can face tomorrow. Because Jesus is alive, I can spend time with my family. Because Jesus is alive, there's no more fear. Because Jesus is alive, I rejoice. Because Jesus lives, I have a place reserved in heaven for me. And he has one reserved for you, too. Because Jesus is alive, I experience grace every day. Because Jesus is alive, I can be good. Because Jesus is alive, my sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is alive, I have purpose. Because Jesus is alive, I have liberty. Because Jesus is alive, together we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I have a hope and a future, and fear cannot prevail. Because Jesus is alive, I know that he's always with me. Because Jesus is alive, I can be confident that he will guide my future. Because Jesus is alive, I don't have to worry about my future. Because Jesus is alive, I fear nothing. And because Jesus is alive, I'm alive today. Because Jesus is alive, there is comfort in despair. Because Jesus is alive, he has become my Lord and Savior. Because Jesus is alive, my sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is alive, sin and death do not have the last word. Grace and life do. Because Jesus is alive, I can live my life to the fullest. Because Jesus is alive, I can overcome what scares me. Because Jesus is alive, we do not live in fear. Because Jesus lives, we can face uncertain days. Because Jesus is alive, life is worth living. Because Jesus is alive, I can face tomorrow. Because my Savior lives, I can spend eternity with Him. My hope and prayer is that I will spend it with all my loved ones. Because Jesus is alive, I am very blessed, thankful, and by the grace of God, I will forever have His unfailing love. Because Jesus is alive, I have a song in my heart. Because Jesus is alive, I will keep on walking and shining His light. He is risen. Once again, I didn't hear you say it, but He is risen indeed. And that's what we're celebrating today. This is a different Easter service for sure, but I hope you're enjoying it at home. Let me read Mark's account of that Easter morning. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb when, when they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the, the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
Peter had a lot going through his mind following the resurrection of Jesus. Mainly, what will Jesus do with a guy like him? What will Jesus do with a turncoat? What will Jesus do with a guy who turned his back and ran and when times got tough? Who would Je- what would Jesus do with a guy who said, I'll never leave you, Jesus, never in a million years, and then he did just that? What will Jesus do with Peter? Will you get a hint of the amazing love of Jesus and the grace of God immediately following the resurrection? The ladies show up to the tomb, fully intending to anoint the cold, dead body of Jesus. That was the plan. Well, you know the story. As they were walking, wondering how they were going to move the giant rock in front of the tomb, they discovered they didn't need to move it at all. It had already been rolled away. And an angel was sitting in the tomb and he said this, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look where they laid his body. But then the part I really want you to get, the angel looked at them and said this, go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why did the angel have to emphasize Peter? The angel could have simply said, go tell his disciples. That would have included Peter. It would have included James, John, and all the rest. It would have included Peter. But that's not what the angel said. Ladies, don't stay here too long. Go tell his disciples and Peter, especially Peter. If you forget anybody else, the one person you cannot forget is Peter. Peter has to know. It was as if all of heaven had watched Peter fall. And now all of heaven wants to lift him up. Be sure you tell Peter he's not left out. Tell him that one failure doesn't make him a flop. Make sure you tell Peter. I'm so glad for those angelic words. You know, I'm glad that that the gospel gives us a second chance. That doesn't happen a lot in this old world. If you messed up, you're done for. Three strikes and you're out. It's now or never. Not so with Jesus. Jesus specializes in second chances. And my guess is, that you are like me and that we are like Peter. We've blown it before. We've, we've all made mess ups. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. But the message God sends you on this Easter day is not, oh, how terrible you are, how awful, how rotten. No, 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 that's not from the Lord. God's message is this, just like the one the angel brought for Peter. Go tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter it's a new day. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Following the lady's encounter with the angels, the resurrected Jesus shows up five times, five surprising places in the gospel. We're going to look at four of them and briefly touch on the fifth. The first one was in the cemetery, just outside the tomb. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in a white, seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. Cemeteries aren't places with very much hope. I've never had much fun in a cemetery. There's not a lot of laughter here. Well, there was one time 
one of my more embarrassing moments happened in a cemetery. I was officiating the funeral service for John Cheney Sr. Here's an interesting little tangent. John Cheney Jr. lives in Kansas and is married to Sandy Cheney. Well, we have a Sandy Cheney that attends Flint Central too. They're not related, but both are very, very nice ladies. Well, Sandy Cheney's father-in-law, John Cheney Sr., the Kansas Cheneys, passed away. And we were doing the, cemetery, the, the committal service at the cemetery. Always, always, always. I make sure that I leave my phone in the car before doing a committal service. Always. Well, almost always. You guessed it. In the middle of the committal service, my friend Wayne Bartlett called me. What made the moment even more embarrassing was the ringtone on my phone. I was living in Kansas, but you know me. I'm a Wolverine. Always have been, always will be. So my phone went off at the cemetery during John Cheney Sr.'s committal service playing Hail to the victors valiant, hail to the conquering heroes, hail, hail. Oh boy. In a way, maybe that part of the song was fitting. One of God's children's finally went home, hail to the victors. Thankfully, Sandy Cheney, the Kansas Cheneys, they were very forgiving. They're not Michigan fans, they're KU Jayhawk fans, but they, they forgave me on my phone. Usually cemeteries aren't places of great humor. They lack hope. We lay to rest our dreams, our loved ones, our dearest, dearest friends. So maybe it's not a surprise that the resurrected Lord would show up first at a place with no hope. And of all the people that Jesus could have appeared to in the entire world, the person that he goes to first is Mary Magdalene. My question is why, why her? If he had shown up just a few moments earlier, he would have been there with John and Peter along with Mary but he waited and showed up just for Mary. And I think the reason is found in verse 10. Verse 10 of that passage says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. The word there is really a lot more strong than just crying. My Greek dictionary says it's bitter crying. She was sobbing, wailing. She was, was beside herself. This isn't a soft little whimper or a teary-eyed. She had immense grief, deep sorrow. Can any of you relate to Mary? You may be able to recall a day when your loss was so deep, so painful, so harsh, that, that the only emotion could be described as bitter crying. I think a case could be made that of all the people in the world, the one who needed Jesus the most at that moment was Mary Magdalene. She was at her wit's end. She didn't know where to go or what to do. She didn't know exactly where, where the body of Jesus might be. She was distressed. If ever there was a person that needed the resurrected Lord, it was Mary. So while she didn't have the political clout of Pilate, she didn't have the religious training of the Pharisees, she didn't have the time spent with Jesus like the disciples, what she had was a great need for the resurrected Lord. And our resurrected Lord came right on time. Here's the good news for you. When you're hurting, when things of life have knocked the wind out of your sails, when you're a lot like Mary, maybe more like Mary than you care to admit, you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn. Pain is real and deep. Emotions are raw. Let Jesus come to you. God has perfect timing. He, he always has. And he asks you the same thing that he asked Mary. Why are you crying? A silly question in a cemetery, usually. A silly question if the object of your grief is no longer dead. Don't you know? Have you not heard? Hail to the victor. Not a football team. Better, it's Jesus. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is the victor. And in our darkest moments, he will come to us. Just ask Mary Magdalene. The resurrected Lord shows up 
not in, in our hopelessness, but he also shows up at the end of our dead-end journeys. When we're aimlessly going through life, the resurrected Jesus will show up there too. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It was Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday afternoon, and a follower of Jesus named Cleopas and another guy were headed to Emmaus. They didn't know that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and in their confusion, in this period of questioning and wondering, they take off for the big city of Emmaus. Now, if you've never heard of Emmaus, join the club. Emmaus probably wasn't a happening place even in Bible times. This is the only place in the entire Bible that Emmaus is mentioned. We don't know anything about Emmaus other than it was seven miles from Jerusalem. Most Bible scholars think there wasn't much to it, nothing more than a few houses. So no Dollar General, no McDonald's, no anything. It was just there. And yet these two followers of Jesus are heading to this booming town. Luke tells us that as they went, they had sadness written across their faces. They're discouraged and de depressed. This is not how they thought things would happen. This is not where they thought they would be. All of their hopes and dreams seemingly died with Jesus on the cross on that Good Friday afternoon sadness was written across their faces. When Jesus meets them, he asks them, why are they sad? And they said, well, because of what happened to Jesus. Jesus was kind of playing dumb, and he said, well, what things? They responded, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Did you hear the defeat in, in their voices? We had hoped it didn't happen but we had hoped. We thought it would, but it didn't. We had hoped. We had hoped he would be the one for Israel. So now they're traveling down this road that leads to nowhere. So many people are. The answers for direction in their life is the resurrected Jesus. He'll fill those empty places, those lonely places. Cleopas and his friends said it best after they had met with Jesus. They said, we're not our hearts burning within us. That's what I pray happens to you, that the resurrected Jesus would light a fire within you. Would light a fire within you, that he will give you direction and end any aimless wanderings. You see, because Jesus is alive, we can have hope. Because Jesus is alive, the resurrected Jesus shows up in the midst of our deepest fears. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. John's Gospel tells us that on that first Easter night, following Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus in the, at the tomb and following the Cleopas and his friends meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, those closest to Jesus that Easter evening, and John 20, 19 says, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Mary had already told them that she had seen Jesus and maybe Cleopas and his friend had already come back from Emmaus with the good news. Still, they're hiding behind locked doors. Is this the way you respond to good news? Fearful, bewildered, wondering, confusing? What's wrong with these people? Why aren't they out on the street singing, up from the grave he arose? Why aren't they shouting, he's alive, he's alive on the streets? Why aren't they looking for Jesus? If I'd just been told my best friend, who I thought was dead, is now alive, I'd want to find him. But, but they're locked behind closed doors, fear and trembling. What's going on? I think you know the answer to those questions. If you don't hear anything else this Easter morning message, hear this. It's not enough to hear the story. You must encounter the Savior. It's not enough just to know what happened. You need to meet Jesus. You can know the Easter story. Yes, I know. He was, he was dead and he came alive on the third day. You can know that. But you need to know the Savior. The disciples, locked in a room, knew what had happened. They'd been told that Jesus was alive by friends, by the angels, but fear had such a tight grip on them. It wasn't until Jesus showed up and Jesus said, peace be with you. And he showed them his side and his hands. And John says, then, then, then the disciples were overjoyed. What is the peace that Jesus was offering? I've told you before, it's the unmistakable presence of Jesus. A little later in John's gospel, the story we're really not going to look at this morning was when Thomas, who wasn't at that meeting, continued to doubt the resurrection. And then finally, the next Sunday, Jesus shows up again. And then Thomas falls to his knees and proclaims, my Lord and my God. Jesus showed up in that locked room. Jesus shows up when fear, remember the disciples are behind those locked doors because of fear. They thought they'd be next. Jesus shows up when in the midst of our great fear, in the midst of such troubling times, Jesus shows up. People are pretty fearful today. The coronavirus has made us all alter everything. My goodness, I'm preaching Easter message from six different locations because we can't meet in a church. People are fearful. But my friend, Jesus will show up in the height of our great fears. But again, it's more than just knowing the story. You need to know Jesus. He's the one that comes to us and says, fear not. He's the one that comes to us and says, you don't need to worry. Because Jesus is alive, we can have hope like Mary Magdalene. Because Jesus is alive, we can have direction. Just ask Cleopas and his friend. Because Jesus is alive, our fears can be calmed. Just ask those disciples. Our doubts can be diminished. Just ask Thomas. Because Jesus is alive, we can have a future. We need not be tied to our past. That's the next story from the waterside. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, 
the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Sometime after the resurrection, Peter decided he was ready to go back fishing. So he and six other disciples went out on the Sea of Galilee. They fished all night long, didn't catch a thing. I don't know if that brought back a deja vu moment for Peter. The last time it's recorded that he was fishing, he was on the Sea of Galilee, fished all night, didn't catch anything. That's the time when he came in and Jesus asked if he could use his boat. He preached in the boat to the folks, the crowds on the shore. And then Jesus asked him one more thing after the sermon was done, said, Peter, why don't we go fishing? Peter wasn't up to it, but he said, well, master, because you say so, I'll go. They went and that's the time when they caught so many fish, it sunk two boats or nearly sunk them. So they came back in and, and that was when Jesus told Peter he was going to start fishing for men, not just for fish. The next three years radically transformed Peter's life. He saw lame people walking, blind people seeing, the dead raised. But now, three years later, Peter's changed. It's, it's not the same Peter, same Sea of Galilee, but not the same Peter. He's gone fishing again. And they're out on the boat, and then a voice from shore calls out and says, hey boys, you catch anything? They said, no, we've caught nothing, no catch for today. And then the voice said, why don't you toss your nets on the other side? Maybe Peter looked over at John and said, what a landlubber. If there's no fish on this side of the boat, there's no fish on that side of the boat. Oh, let's just humor him. So they tossed their nets. And just like three years prior, they started hauling in a huge catch. In fact, John says 153 fish. Somewhere in the, in the struggle to bring in all these fish, Peter misses the moment, but John doesn't. John looks over at Peter and says, Peter, it's the Lord. What? It's the Lord. That's all Peter needed to hear. He took off. He didn't care about those 153 fish. He started swimming to shore. Now, John doesn't record what exactly took place in that conversation between John or Jesus and Peter at that moment. But you got to know face to face, Peter was wrecked with sorrow. Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe what I did. I know what I told you and I know what I promised. I'm so sorry. But you know Jesus. It didn't take him long to say, Peter, your past is your past. You see, because Jesus lives, we need not be handcuffed. We need not be chained to our past, but Jesus sets a new course. He gives us a new way. To make a long story short, Jesus restored Peter that day, just like he'll restore any of us who goes to him. We've got one more destination, and this time it's a passage from the Apostle Paul. It's really my prayer for you on this Easter day, my prayer for you and your family, your home, on Easter. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. 
And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Well, we're back at my house. This has been a different Easter sermon than I've ever preached before and probably one different than you've ever heard before. But I hope you heard the truth of the message. And Paul's prayer there in Ephesians is really my prayer for you and your household. Because Jesus is alive. He has glorious, unlimited resources. Because Jesus is alive, we can be empowered with an inner strength through His Spirit. Because Jesus is alive, we can make His home in our heart. Because Jesus is alive, our roots can grow deep down in God's love and keep you strong because Jesus is alive. We can have power to understand how wide and long and high and deep God's love is for you. Because Jesus is alive, we can be complete, not broken, not half-hearted, but complete with all the fullness of life and power. This Easter Sunday, that's my prayer for you. Like Mary, if you're feeling hopeless, like Cleopas and his friend, if, if you would admit you're aimlessly drifting through life, like the disciples, if you're fearful, like Thomas, if you're full of doubts, like Peter, if you're waiting for a second chance, because Jesus is alive, he'll meet you and you can be, you can be with him. He'll make your heart his home. Would you like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart today? I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you pray along in your home, in front of your computer, wherever you are, the resurrected Jesus can come into your life and give you new hope and a new life this day. So would you join me as we close in prayer this morning? Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We're so glad of the resurrection that we're celebrating today. We're thankful for your power and your peace that can be ours. If we're hopeless like Mary, if we're just drifting aimlessly like Cleopas and his friend, if we're fearful like the disciples, if we're doubtful like, like Thomas, if we just need a second chance like Peter, you give us that. And so, Lord, we pray if there's anyone listening or watching this service, if they don't know you, that you would come into their heart even now, that they would know your peace and your presence, that they would know that they are, are free from their sins and their burdens that carry them, they've been carrying with them. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Again, we pray for our nation. We pray for our people going through this coronavirus. We pray, Lord, a swift end to all of this. Be with the healthcare workers. Be with those that are dealing with sickness. Be with those that are are dealing with grief of losing a loved one. And through all of this, we want to be sure to give you praise. For we know you're at work. The resurrected Lord lives, and we can always trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.